not only do game developers have a place in this industry, because esports is just an umbrella term for any video game that anyone wants to compete against, whether it is Tetris or it is League of Legends or StarCraft. But, you know, in order to run all this, we need business people, we need marketers, we need people who can cut together a good trailer, who can broadcast and present a team. And also, you know, someone who can actually speak to what's going on in the event that's happening. Select CT. What is going on, Homo sapiens? This is the Select CT podcast, where we talk about the digital media industry in Connecticut. I am David DeRoche. I run the podcast program at Quinnipiac University, and this podcast is a production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. This is our second season of Select CT, and in this episode, we've got heavy hitters to talk about esports. Now, if you don't know what esports are, listen to this piece put together by the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference. It's from the first esports tournament in Connecticut in 2019. Welcome to the Play versus State Championship for League of Legends, Season Zero for Connecticut. The first time we entered the stage, the auditorium at this school, we were all like, wow, that's so fancy. These teams battled it out between about 15 to 16 schools across the state are now here for your grand final. The first time to like play a tournament like in that big stage. Manchester on the blue side to start things off. Yes. Meanwhile, Woodstock is going to be on red. We have uh, uh, five positions. You can see I, I will stand on the back of the stage because I am responsible for searching the other team's information before the game. You see the damage that's coming out there and oh my goodness. Would have to change the the, all the plays uh, they made is pretty impressive. It was three for one in favor of Woodstock. So in case you couldn't tell, esports are video game tournaments and their popularity has grown like wildfire over the last few years. It's an industry with tremendous potential for growth, and for anyone looking for a career in this space, now is a great time to dive in. So here to help me walk through all this, we have Ken Thompson. He's currently a professor at UConn, but before that, he spent eight years as a game designer working on some big-time franchises like Iron Man, Spider-Man, and Captain America. Ken, so glad to have you on today. Thank you for having me. And we also have somebody from Manchester High School who participated in that first tournament. We have Josh Stephenson. He's an assistant principal at Manchester High School, and he also has a background as a physics teacher, and he's won a presidential award for his teaching. He also coordinates the esports team at the high school. Josh, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. And finally, we have Jason Chung. He runs the esports business program at New Haven University. He's a lawyer by training, and according to him, he's living proof that enjoying video games and having played them regularly since childhood does not equal being proficient at them. <laughs> Just so our listeners know, those are Jason's words, not mine. Jason, thanks for taking our time today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Jason, I want to start with you uh, because your area of interest includes the history of esports. So maybe you can sort of take us back. Uh, how did this thing go from something we do in our bedrooms and in basements to something that's filling arenas and generating billions of dollars. How did all this happen? Well, it happened organically and it happened through a lot of time, actually. So the first, uh, you know, uh, video game tournament was, uh, was, you know, in the 70s. 
at Stanford University. They wanted to, uh, you know, they wanted to play a game called Space War against each other. Uh, a journalist from Rolling Stone magazine says, "I'll said I'll put up a, a, a you know a prize of a, a yearly subscription to uh, Rolling Stone magazine," and uh, he basically wrote about it. And uh, since then. Uh, in the 80s, it basically grew. It became a marketing tool for, for companies like Atari. But really, the birth of modern esports took place in Asia, right? Uh, particularly South Korea, when uh, you know a game called StarCraft uh, went over to Korea. Um, also, there was a bunch of people that were laid off due to the finan Asian financial crisis at the time. And uh, the government said, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to incentivize local people to uh, set up these internet cafes or PC bunks, as they call them in Korea. And, uh, you know, uh, what they wanted to do was create these internet hubs so that people could be productive and all do all those kinds of things. But obviously, teenagers said, we're going to play StarCraft against each other <laughs> instead. And, um, you know, it became a big uh, national obsession. Uh, and that kind of obsession, obviously, it translated over uh, to different jurisdictions, different places. And uh, we have what we have now uh, because publishers have realized that it's an excellent way to increase fandom in their games. And it's also a way to really harness the power of, uh, of viewership for, you know, sponsors and other brands that want to take advantage of that. And Connecticut was one of the first states in the country to offer its students esports. I think that was back in 2018. And we heard from the tournament in 2019 where Manchester High School participated against Woodstock Academy. I think Woodstock came out on top. But um, how did that happen, Jason? How did Connecticut, what sort of th things needed to go, wheels needed to be put into play for Connecticut to say, you know what, this is something we want our students to participate in? You know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that Connecticut has been very fortunate is the, is, is the fact that, you know, the the understanding of education um, has been open uh, for a long time. So the and I'm sure that uh, you know Ken will say the same thing. But it's uh, the the openness to basically look at something and say it, just because it's a new industry doesn't mean that it doesn't deserve study, right? Uh, we want to basically prepare our students for that. And quite frankly, because we're a smaller state, there's a lot of uh, coordination and the ability to put things together that's a lot easier for us here, right? So, uh, for instance, you know, uh, when I was pre previously teaching at NYU, big school, big name and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, getting a varsity team going <laughs> is a difficult endeavor, right? Whereas at the University of New Haven, one of the reasons why I came over uh, here is because they said, we're going to reorient uh, a big chunk of the university and all different programs in the university towards this new esports and gaming uh, degree program and other programs and also uh, facilitate a master's degree because the industry is asking for it. And, and could you uh, spearhead that for us? So, you know, it's, it's part of it is will and part of it is just openness to new experiences. Mm. And so, Josh, I want to ask you, you know, at, at uh, Manchester High School, working with the esports teams there, and you guys, you know, making it to the finals in 2019, falling a little bit short, but you still got to be proud of your students. I'm wondering about the process that students might have to go through to become uh, an esport athlete. Uh, do they have to try out like traditional sports uh, in that way? Is there a lot of demand or tell me about that process? Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, it's something where the the process is evolving kind of as esports in Connecticut um, becomes really sustainable and, and has scaled up so much in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, definitely some uh, some tough memories from 2019 as I'm staring here at the silver medal that's hanging up on my wall from uh, from that championship. So like if you think about that group and those are some of the kids that I have like the best memories in this high school with, that was like a really organic group of like six or eight guys that um, just, you know, loved playing League of Legends. Um, we're playing it a lot at home sort of thing and looked at it as kind of a space for them in the building to be engaged. And so we jumped on it, uh, my predecessor. And then when I came in to kind of say like, you know, how do we, 
how do we capture a spot for a kid to feel like they're seen and known in the high school when they are not the ones who would have been playing the varsity football, baseball, basketball, um, those kind of spaces that were more traditional. And then from that, you know, six or seven kids in two years, you got to the point where you had us, you know, bursting at the seams in like our computer labs that we had. Uh, so we've got one kind of high-end gaming computer lab here at the high school and you saw the games expand as well. So then we got to the point where we had our League of Legends team. As some students graduated, we had some kids that were ready to kind of step up and fill in where we were able to go uh, three seasons in a row, actually, to that state championship. Uh, one, 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 lost two to Woodstock. And then, you know, we added Rocket League, which gave a whole other group of kids a spot. Uh, some of the younger kids could come in and not feel like they were competing for spaces in the League of Legends area. And then I think the the other really cool thing too is it's just a there's a community that goes along with esports where you'll have another you know 15 to 20 kids on any given day that are sort of hanging out in the space, uh, playing games that are interesting to them, you know, getting to to know their school community better, finding that safe spot for them, uh, and then those are the kids that you know kind of naturally i think feed up um so we haven't we haven't gotten to the point where we're running you know like four different rocket league teams and we've got a varsity and a jv and we're going through like the tryouts and things but but i think you're gonna you know as you see the culture of esports take on the same prominence that you see other athletic sports you're gonna see a lot of those same structures um come into play as well mm. and i want to touch on that community building piece of it as well a little bit later but i want to uh, turn to ken to just ask ken you know, in terms of designing games, now that esports are just this massive industry, it seems to be growing exponentially. It seems like there's a lot of room for different kinds of digital media practitioners, not just you know traditional game designers, but you know maybe uh, you know writers, um, you know uh, different kinds of d- digital media skills that might be needed to you know participate in this industry as it grows. What sort of things are you seeing? in the industry itself as it grows, opportunities for digital media practitioners to get into the gaming industry and, and uh, you know, do what they're really good at doing. Yeah, well, as as you mentioned, the industry is growing a lot. And League of Legends, which is at one point, you know, the most played game on the planet, um, has had a lot of success with um, creating one game that they can sell over the course of many, many years. And um, and by sell, I mean, it's for free, but they're selling skins and, um, and other sort of uh, visual effects that allow uh, users to customize their uh, experience. So not only do game developers have a place in this industry, because esports is just an umbrella term for any video game that anyone wants to compete against, whether it is Tetris or it is um, League of Legends or StarCraft. Uh, but you know, in order to run all this, um, we need business people, we need marketers, we need people who can cut together a good trailer, who can broadcast and present, uh, a a team and also, you know, someone who can actually speak to what's going on in the event that's happening, right? Uh, you know, if you were watching football and the person, uh, broadcasting didn't know anything about football, you'd be probably pretty confused as well as they were. Um, so, you know, this, this industry is growing. Um, I, I would mention also that uh, we're not only seeing uh, in America, we're not only seeing, you know, students or kids coming together and, and playing games and competing, but this is this is billion dollar business. There are events. Um, I took my father-in-law um, to the pre uh, the uh, the semifinals of uh, League of Legends um, in 2017, and that was in the um, uh, uh, Boston Garden. I forget what it's called now, but the uh, and we were up in the nosebleed section, and it was full. 
Uh, so, uh, and you know, like the Kraft Stadium um, in uh, uh, Foxborough, they've uh, built up, or they, you know, they've been building up esports um, as well, facilities for people to come and play. So this is um, expanding, and you know, every sort of person is is kind of needed, um, but also you know, people who can understand the culture and the the experience of what it is to play these games is is really important too. Right. And you know, what was interesting when I was watching that video and watching different esports tournaments, you know, those announcers, they are just as enthusiastic, if not more enthusiastic as any physical sport announcer, you know, a lot of energy, they know the sport, they're, you know, they're into it, they're having fun. So it, it, and, that, and to your point, you have to know what's going on in order to be able to, to do that. And that's a skill set that, um, that, you know, could be in demand as well. And I guess you also need people to write those narratives too. You know, when we're offline prior to the pressing record, we talked a little bit about those world building skills that might be needed in some of these really complex games. There's, there's so many layers and narratives and characters. And so I guess there's room for that as well. So yeah, let's talk about the community building piece of this because that is something that's really interesting. So if you have students that are you know participating in the esports, you also have you know students that are sort of involved in the background doing different things. I'm I'm wondering you know sort of the benefits outside of you know participating you know directly in the esport itself. But what are some of the the additional benefits, Jason? I know one of your areas of interest is this sort of intersection of gaming and health. Um, you know, I'm certain, uh, you know, we could talk about that specific issue for a very long time, but just in broad strokes, what do you think are some of those, those broader benefits in terms of community building, uh, mental health benefits for students? And also what might be some things that participants should look out for? Like what might be some pitfalls through participation in esports? Well, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I always like to situ- I like to situate anybody uh, with, uh, you know, where you are when you're talking about esports. Right. And I say it's you have to think of it as an industry. Right. And an industry requires all kinds of people. Right. So, for instance, I'm an attorney by trade. Uh, you know, I, I, I work as a professor. Uh, you would think, well, you know, how much need do you have for lawyers? Well, you need a lot of lawyers in the in the industry, right? You need to re- look at contracts. You need to look at, you know, how the distribution deals are done. You know, there's a not there's a need for that. There's also need for accountants and project managers. Uh, you know, and uh, basically at the University of New Haven, uh, one of the things that we've done is basically yes, of course, the program is based out of the College of Business, but uh, the uh, concentrations and, and courses take place throughout the university because not everybody is going to be on the varsity team that we have or even on the JV team. Uh, some of them will want to just do things like shoutcasting. Some of them want to be the production guy. Some want to be the clips editor. Um, and other people want to be on the business side of things and talk about marketing, right? And still others want to go into the health field. And we have a concentration, as you mentioned, in uh, you know athlete performance uh, and health. Uh, and what does that look like? You know, what are sort of the injuries that you need to guard against, like RSI and things like that, repetitive uh, stress industries. So, you know, um, it's it's a rich industry because, yes, you have to look at the entertainment side of things. You also have to look at the sport and performance side of things. And then, of course, with the industry being entertainment, uh, you know, just like any industry, you need all the support staff, all the other people that make the, uh, the, uh, the machine hum. So uh, there's an infinite possibility. You know, people always ask me because, uh, you know, I, I teach sport management as well. And they say, well, is esports a sport or not? And, and I say, well, it's got viewership and it has lots of revenues and lots of people care about it. So who cares? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's a business. And if it's a business, you're going to have people that require all sorts of services and, and products. So, uh, you know, all we're doing is taking our students and, and sensitizing them to, them to the fact that, hey, Gen Z seems to really like this this industry and it's only going to grow, uh, as anybody here will tell you. So if it's only going to grow and it's a grow and it's a it's a compelling entertainment industry, then 
you should probably understand the DNA of what, what you're talking about, right? Because nobody wants to come in and, and start, you know, using practices from like selling uh, soap and try to sell uh, esports with it. It's not authentic. And authenticity is really the driver of, of all modern digital entertainment. So, you know, we want to make sure we want to make sure that our students uh, can really harness that and uh, really take that to the next level so that the industry can continue to professionalize, continue to bring along the next generation, not only as fans, but as the people who are going to sustain it going forward. You know, and as someone who the last video game that I really was proficient in was uh, Mario Kart and N64, I can attest to the fact that when you're playing N64 against really good people, you're probably going to break a sweat. And I don't know if that is the definition of a sport, but at least for me, I felt heart palpitations, heart beating fast, you know, getting getting really worked up. And it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, so I imagine that, you know, as this industry grows, um, there's going to be a lot of openings for for those different uh, professions that we've talked about already. I'm wondering if Ken, if you can talk a little bit more about in terms of background um, as this industry sort of grows. Do you think this is something that more digital media practitioners need to follow? Um, do you think that there that the demand for for workers is is much much higher than the availability of workers? Because maybe digital media practitioners aren't really looking at gaming. Maybe they're looking more in animation and, and video and or journalism and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, in terms of you know what are people looking for, uh, I, I think that the students that we're seeing in the digital media and design department are maybe not a, as aware, although we did have an intern actually out in an esports company this year. Um, but they're just starting to become aware of the fact that this is just a good segment of the of a growing uh, field of business. Um, so the people who are doing animations for video games, those are someone, you know, that's someone who might uh, be looking at that industry, but those kind of skills are interchangeable. Um, and uh, so you can animate for film, you can animate for games, and you can animate um, fly through uh, credit sequences, uh, or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing with an esports uh, trailer. A lot of stuff, a lot of opportunity. Josh, you know, as somebody who's at the ground level with these students, you really are sort of building this pipeline of talent in terms of the ones who will be participating in esports, you know, as as players. Tell me what the students are telling you. Do you, you know, certainly, obviously, this this industry is very new. It, you know, the first tournament was 2019, just a year before COVID-19 hit. Uh, so, you know, what sort of things are they seeing that they really like um, in, in their tournaments or in the gameplay generally? And what are some things that they want to see improvements on? I mean, I think the thing that they like the most is is that chance to play in a team-based setting. So, like, the ones, you know, the ones that have really taken off have been, like, the League of Legends and, um, and the Rocket League, where it's the collaborative aspect, the... Uh, yeah, you said it perfectly. Like when you start to break a sweat and your heart's beating, that's that's what it's like on the adult end too. Watching it, like these are you know these kids are your kids and you care about them and you're so invested in them and you have that. I think they get that same feeling with each other. They're playing for each other. They're playing as a team. Um, you know, and oddly enough, like Fortnite, when we got the okay to start playing Fortnite, didn't take off on the esports side for us quite as quickly as these other team based games did. And so I think. You know, not not to keep bringing it back to the kind of the same thing, but I think that sense of community is what really, really drives it. And you have, you know, you have a an era in like public educate, public and private education where like the number one issue is certainly mental health for students. And this is this is again, it's one of those spaces for a kid who's maybe been marginalized as far as what their you know participation in school community has been historically. 
um, who might have felt, you know, for the last like 20 to 30 years, the idea of even video game playing was sort of stigmatized, um, you know, especially as you went through an era of like when I was growing up playing Wolfenstein 3D and then into Doom and into Quake and, um, you know, those first person shooter type games and stuff that it's like, yeah, if you play video games, you're going to grow up and be screwed up. And, and we're finally kind of breaking that stigma to say there is so much opportunity for you to be around like-minded people, whether it's like-minded people that like to code or like-minded people that are just into graphics or like-minded people that like to play and the, you know, the energy and excitement of that play and play as a collaborative team. And I think it's, it's those multiple avenues that are creating, as you said, a pathway. And that's really what it's all about at the high school level is having a pathway from a grade nine student who says, I'm interested in coding and maybe doesn't even know exactly what that means or what part their, you know, their passion and talents align to and giving them a, a spot where when they graduate high school, they are both part of a community and they have a plan for after high school where we're sitting here saying, you know, as adults, this kid's going to be okay. They're going to go do some cool things. Yeah. And just to tag on to that, the community building is usually something that comes out of the students themselves and uh, they will decide where they want to go. At UConn, we have about 700 active students and they're all part of the club, the gaming club system. Um, and those clubs have officers and the students who are taking up the positions of leadership are organizing, you know, multi high school in person events in which we uh, like the Husky games where we bring everyone uh, before COVID uh, together. And uh, hopefully we'll be continuing that tradition in the future. And that that's really where people are socializing. And it's, you know, not only the elite players that are the important members of the community, but also those community builders, the people who bring us together and who can organize an event and can ha make sure that everyone has a really good time and enjoys themselves. Um, you know, a hundred students come every uh, week or so uh, to play uh, with each other at UConn. And, um, you know, they do that because they just are interested and they have friends there and it's a, a good environment. Um, and that's really important too, is, com you know, your community management and your ability to uh, make everyone welcome. Yeah, the key word, the key word I would say is infrastructure, right? So, you know, at the University of New Haven, you know, we built out an educational program where you can uh, study in multiple different tracks about the industry, but you've got the club, uh, so the students can do some of the infrastructure, but, you know, you also need, uh, you know, support from the top. So we have a varsity team, we have a coach, uh, you know, we have 70, uh, approximately 70 uh, varsity athletes next year, you know, there's infrastructure that's required, you know, where are they going to compete? Where are they going to play? You know, where's the high level game going to be? Where's the low level game going to be? Uh, you know, all of these things are still being built out. And that's the exciting part about the space that we're talking about. But it's also the biggest challenge, right? Uh, because you've got a million vendors trying to send you, sell you a million things. And, uh, you know, most of them are not quit, not good. Let me put it that way, right? So it's also cutting through uh, the noise and really trying to identify good opportunities for that that really empower students um you know and and you know I, i'm sure uh ken will say the same thing but it's also about uh you know and and the same thing for josh as well you know we're gonna it's all about cutting through all that noise to really make sure that are our students being you know cultivated or are they being exploited um and you know we want to avoid exploitation at all costs right so uh you know we uh, you know we spend a lot of time uh, just looking through the different opportunities and saying that one's the right fit that one seems genuine that one seems more predatory uh, there's a lot more of that than you would think 
And I imagine that the issue of uh, paying esports students who are in college is probably going to become an issue now that that is on the table at the NCAA. You know, and I and I imagine also you know continuing to talk about the community element of all this. You know, during COVID nineteen, I imagine that is a very strong uh, element to participating in esports is being able to still be part of a community um, while being remote. You know, uh, Josh, you brought this up, and I feel like I have to dig in a little bit on this because it does seem to be something that maybe some people uh, still think about when they think about video games. Is that stigma attached to them? Uh, you, you know, the idea that you play video games that you know you'll become violent or something like that. You, you mentioned that we might be on the other side of that, but I also imagine that there probably are you know, a significant number of policymakers who might push back against video games because of that stigma. Um, where do you think we are in terms of that piece of this? Do you think that that is still a challenge to try to to try to get over? Or do you think we are on the other side of that, Josh? Yeah, and no, I, I think it's still a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for a long time. Um, you know, it's it's one of those one of those spaces, like I think back to going to a curriculum and instruction board of education committee meeting and advocating for Fortnite to be okay for us. Um, Cause it had been prior to, uh, prior to three, four years ago, it was like a hard no on anything that involved a weapon, anything that involved a first person perspective was a hard no. Um, and part of, you know, part of my pitch in saying like, I, I think this is a good idea. I support this is saying that, you know, we're a space where we can, we can monitor and support kids as they're exposed to these virtual um, game-based environments. And, and the reality is like kids have access to these things outside of school. And so it's a, it's a far better conversation, I think, to think about like, how do you not control, but how do you support and educate students as they're exposed to video games, as they're exposed to virtual worlds, and as they're exposed to navigating community building um, you know, doing that in the school system is a great way to lean on the supports that we have in place already anyways. But I do think, you know, I, I did a lot, like a lot of prep in making that argument about, you know, why Fortnite should be something that we embrace um, in Manchester. And, and you'll see, you know, you will see other school systems, other states that take that hardline stance. And I think it's going to take, you know, some time and just kind of continuing to focus on the successes of students and the successes around the community building um, you know, the successes of being able to bring in uh, previously marginalized populations into esports uh, so we can continue to like center race and equity in this work as well. And as those successes, you know, get out to the public perception, it, it's what it's going to take to change that that prior stigmatism that's always happened. And I'm glad you brought that up because I also imagine that this seems like kind of a boys club esports. I mean, here we are four guys talking about esports and, and it seems like, you know, from a lot of the videos I watch, most of the participants are boys and young men. What is happening with that piece of this? Are, you know, are there uh, movements toward more gender parity or what else could be done? One of the ways our building principal, um, Caitlin Miner at the high school, will describe Manchester High to... Uh, people that aren't familiar with it is to say, close your eyes and picture any high school kid in this world and they go to this high school. So Manchester High is the most diverse high school in, in Connecticut. It's one of the you know, 50 or 75 most diverse high schools in the entire United States. And if I flip that statement a little bit and say, close your eyes and picture a kid who you think plays esports, I think darn near everybody in this world pictures someone that looks pretty similar. Um, and that's, that to me is like the next growth area. So we, you know, if you go into our computer lab, you see a lot of guys, it wasn't until year three that you saw a girl that was participating in League of legends, um, you know, at, at our highest level of competition. Um, you know, you see that in a lot of spaces with science and science, technology and math in general, 
Um, but it's definitely this massive opportunity space. And that's where the work moves into at the high school level. This is very important. And um, uh, the video game um, playing statistics, according to the ESA, the uh, uh, gender parity is there for playing games. It's just which games do they play? And in that way, I think that esports does need to grow, but can also include just other games that are uh, maybe uh, have a different demographic and also creating games that are bring all demographics together are also really important. And that's that's the work that developers have to do. And as well as uh, making sure that our communities are welcome. You know, uh, we uh, that's something that I really uh, stress upon everyone is making sure that everyone is feeling welcome and can bring what they want to do and their own interests into this uh, arena. Mm, I feel like this is a topic we could probably talk about in its own episode, but we have to wind things down, unfortunately, but I do want to give you, each of you guys just like 30 seconds each to just give a quick bit of advice for anybody who wants to get into this industry, either as gamers or maybe there's another opportunity as a digital media practitioner. Jason, uh, just some quick advice for people who want to get into this field. Do your research, uh, but don't fetishize it, right? Like at the end of the day, this isn't about something new and uh and unwieldy that nobody has ever seen before. It's people playing video games. It's literally the world's largest entertainment business, right? Uh, it's four times, you know, the global games business is four times larger than, uh, you know, a worldwide film revenue, right? So uh, if you think about it that way, yes, esports is a small side, a slice of it, and yeah, the competitive side is a small slice of it. But think about all the different opportunities that exist for for you know future workers. Uh, future generations in the industry, right? If you think about Hollywood and the diversity there, you know, the global games industry has way more uh, engagement with the public, uh, way more projects that are all ongoing, uh, way more set up in terms of, um, you know, exhibitions and competitions and way more education done with brands and, uh, and other sponsors. So uh, this is a growing field because there's a demand for qualified workers um, as well. And there's a lot of investors that are coming along for the ride as well. So, you know, try not to think of it as just, you know, gamers getting together in a computer room and playing. That's yeah, that's that's the product. Uh, and that's the main thing that people will think about. But there's a big wide world around it. Mm, mm, very good advice. Uh, Ken, what do you think? Any advice for students or for uh, people who want to get into the field? This is this is an entrepreneurial period within the industry, and there are games that haven't been made yet that are going to be the new hit game, and it, it's inevitable that that will continue to mature. So keep your eyes open for different opportunities. There are different companies and different uh, approaches. Some people are doing it all in one location. Some people are doing leagues. So there's a lot of different uh, approaches. And I think that that is kind of part of the, the industry right now and to experiment and be able to go out there and take a risk uh, with uh, you know your approach. Probably just a good advice for, for any uh, industry. And also, uh, Josh, advice for folks who want to get into the field. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, especially for high school kids, it's all about, you know, high school and college kids finding your passion and then finding a place for your passion to be in this industry because the, the places exist. And then and then there's a level two that, you know, anybody that says they want to go pole vault is not going to expect that it happens in 30 seconds. It's going to take time and practice and commitment. And I think the same thing applies to esports. And so just, you know, making sure that once you find out what it is you're passionate about, you approach it with the same dedication that you would anything else in life. Absolutely. Great advice, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Ken Thompson, Josh Stephenson, and Jason Chong for joining me today to talk about esports in Connecticut. Guys, thanks so much for joining us on Select CT. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. 
Select CT is a podcast production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac University, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Digital Media CT. That's Digital Media underscore CT. Tell us what you think about our show. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow me on Twitter at SavingEJ. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and other apps. If you want to learn more about the digital media landscape in Connecticut, you can visit digitalmediact.com. The producer of Select CT is Justin Matley. Matt Warwood is our executive producer. Our marketing coordinator is Marvin Lewis. I'm David DeRoche. Thanks so much for listening. Now get out there and make some media. Select CT. Select CT.